Stay tuned for a special announcement at the end of this program. Welcome to Accession. Today, we're on the moon. Acquire the necessary components for a spacecraft, as well as a Saturn V rocket, and head down to Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. You're also going to want some friends who know a thing or two about physics, but those can usually be found at your local community college. Then, get the rocket going up to 17,500 miles per hour to escape the Earth's gravitational pull and get into orbit. Once you've taken a few spins around the globe, and your physics friends say that you're good to go, ignite your thrusters and head towards the moon and get into its orbit. Once there, take a shuttle down to the moon's surface and try to head for the ocean of storms. Make your way to the southeast portion of the ocean and find the intrepid lunar module from the Apollo 12 mission. And it's here that we will find our museum. Probably. Today, we're looking at all of the pieces in the Moon Museum. Accession year 1969, numbers 1 through 6. Now, you're probably wondering why I brought you here. Or how I got here myself. Or how a museum got up here. Honestly, at this point, you're probably pretty confused. For answers, we're going to have to head back to the first week of November, 1969, when the number one song was Suspicious Minds by Elvis Presley, and America was in the middle of its moon fever. But it's going to take me a while to explain, and I'm not sure if I have enough time with the limited oxygen up here. Probably should have thought of that beforehand. Let's, uh, let's head back to Earth, and I'll explain it down there. Oh, much better. Now, in 1969, the world of art was weird, in the best way possible. John Chamberlain and other such artists were creating pieces of abstract art in an attempt to express human emotion in a raw aesthetic form a type of art known, unsurprisingly, as Abstract Expressionism. Robert Rauschenberg was doing pieces of art called combines, like collages and mixed media, whose themes on a consumerist culture anticipated and worked alongside the pop artists like Andy Warhol, who you probably know for his soup cans, and Clayce Oldenburg, who you probably know for making large sculptures of tiny everyday objects. This group was constantly trying to redefine the term art and flip the mirror onto the American society. And in reaction to all this, artists like David Navras had begun working in minimalism, focusing more on color and simple geometry. The push in the art world was to experiment, to try new things, to break the form, to do something different. And in the middle of all of this was a sculptor, named Forrest Myers. His friends called him Frosty. 
Now, Frosty had an idea. <laughs> a crazy idea. The kind of idea that could get some notice in this art world. And the kind of idea that would raise the eyes of the press in Moonstruck America. If they could put a man on the moon, how hard could it be to get a museum up there? Frosty was going to put an art museum on the moon. Frosty reached out to the organization EAT, which stands for Experiments in Arts and Technology. The group was founded by two engineers, Billy Kluver and Fred Waldhauer from Bell Telephone Labs, and two artists, the aforementioned Robert Rauschenberg and Robert Whitman, who was a good friend and often collaborator with the also aforementioned Clace Oldenburg. They had worked together previously in 1966 to put on a series of theater events that incorporated arts and emerging technologies and decided that they wanted to build a platform from which other artists could benefit from similar collaborations with engineers in the Bell Labs team. Thus, in 1967, the EAT was formed. And in 1969, Frosty reached out to them with his idea for a moon museum. Frosty and Fred Waldhauer hatched an idea for how they were going to make their museum a reality. Use the same technology that allowed scientists at Bell to design the circuit boards and phones and etch the sketches the artists had made into a tiny ceramic wafer, half an inch by three quarters of an inch wide. So Frosty collected up sketches from five other artists and himself, and about 16 of these ceramic wafers were made, one to go to the moon, and the rest to go to the artists and engineers involved. That's how, nowadays, you could go see a copy of the Moon Museum in the MoMA, but it's not the real deal. Making these was easy enough. Now? Now he just had to, you know, get this thing to the moon. And as it turns out, there was one thing, or rather, one entity, that stood in between this museum and its final destination. N-A-S-A. Or as you probably know it, NASA. Now NASA was not formed to provide collaboration between artists and engineers. In 1958, Eisenhower signed the National Aeronautics and Space Act, which officially changed over the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, or NACA, to the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. No NASA will be different from NACA in many ways. That is inevitable, of course. Because in many ways, NASA's job will be different. But, and this is extremely important both to you and to me as individuals and to the success of our mission, NASA must be like NACA in the qualities of strength and character that make an organization great. As the presidency shifted from Dwight D. to John F., the goal for NASA was even more clearly stated. I believe that this nation should commit itself 
to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Finally, after Lyndon B.'s presidency and during the presidency of Richard M., just before the end of the aforementioned decade, the Apollo 11 mission was carried out, and man was successfully sent to the moon and returned safely. One, zero, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. I'm gonna step off the limb now. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Now, as you can probably imagine, there's a lot that goes into making a rocket successfully land a man on the moon and bring him home. So, when your organization is approached by an artist who wants to successfully send his art museum to the moon, it's not quite a high priority on the checklist. I mean, NASA never said no, they just never technically said yes either. But it's that same long checklist of things required to go to the moon that would ultimately end up helping out Frosty and Waldhauer. You see, most people think of NASA like a company, like SpaceX, with the goal of doing space-related science and putting people in space. But really, NASA is a government agency, responsible for coordinating government contracts, and bringing together companies to help the American mission of space exploration as a whole move forward. So NASA was hiring manufacturers and laboratories all across the U.S. and organizing their efforts to pull off the Apollo missions. And at one such manufacturers, Grumman Aircraft, which was working on the landing module for Apollo 12, Waldhauer had a friend, an engineer, who was willing to help. This engineer agreed to hide the museum beneath the layers of gold foil on the part of the module that stayed on the moon. For confirmation that the deed was done, the engineer told Frosty and Waldhauer that he would send a telegram. So on November 12, 1969, at precisely 3.35 p.m., less than two days before the launch, Frosty received a telegram from Cape Canaveral, Florida. It read, You're on. A-OK. All systems go. John F. And, on November 14th, at 422, Apollo 12 took off, 
carrying astronauts Charles Conrad Jr., Richard Gordon Jr., and Alan Bean on their mission to the moon. Now, despite being struck by lightning twice on takeoff, it wasn't the first Apollo mission to send a man to the moon, and it didn't involve the sort of catastrophe that Ron Howard would deem fit for a movie, so it remained the relatively obscure, less interesting middle space mission of this trilogy. But, of course, that kind of makes it the hipster darling of Apollo missions. It also has the best Apollo mission logo, hands down, but that's a story for another time. Frosty revealed the existence of his project to the New York Times, and they published an article about it with a photograph on November 22nd, two days after the crew had landed on the moon, but two days before they were scheduled to return to Earth. And now I think you know why we went to the moon in the first place. So let's head back up there. So here we are at the landing module, and if my research is accurate, we should find here... Ah, yes, here it is. The Moon Museum, tucked between the gold foil, just as expected. Now here, in the bottom left, that's the piece that Frosty made a computer-generated image of a pair of lines that make a sort of tube that weaves in and out of itself, forming a trefoil knot. In math, we call it a 3 sub 1 knot, for being the only prime knot with three crossings. But you don't need to know all that. Frosty called the piece interconnection. Next, in the bottom middle, is the piece by Clace Oldenburg, who drew a sort of geometric variation on Mickey Mouse a signature sketch of his, and a popular motif in his art. The two pieces on the right side, by John Chamberlain and David Navros as you go around, are very simple designs, inspired by circuitry. Ironically, John Chamberlain's simple lines that form a perfectly symmetrical, geometric shape are fairly reminiscent of Navros's minimalism. And Navros's black square, with a few lines semi-randomly etched into it, is probably about as close to Chamberlain's abstract expressionism as could possibly be achieved in this small format. Now in the top center of the wafer, our penultimate piece in the museum, it's just a straight line, drawn by Robert Rauschenberg. Just a single straight line, nothing more. Artists in the 60s, I swear. But if that doesn't make you want to roll your eyes, it's time for the final stop on our tour. It was drawn by none other than Andy Warhol, and it's a very creative stylization of his initials, with the W split down the middle and an A pointing the other way, joining the two halves. In this way, Warhol made his initials look like a rocket ship. A rocket ship and nothing else. Definitely doesn't look like anything else. Nothing at all. Come on, Warhol. I'm trying to make a family show here. 
So that's it. Our tour has come to an end. Up here on the moon, there's this museum. A sort of time capsule, if you will. An intersection of America's obsession with the moon, the art world's obsession with the novel and the bizarre, and the amazing creations that can come about when art and technology work together. Cut. Cut, cut. Ponders, that was... That was fine, I guess. But, you know, you, you really hammed up that last line. Uh, oh, sorry, Mr. Kubrick. I, I'm sorry. Remember, we're trying to get them to think that you're actually on the moon. Yeah. No one is going to be convinced with that. Pardon me, but you're a professional garbage that you just laid out there, all right? I mean, get into the character here. Would you find the time to give a patriotic, hopeful speech like that if you were actually up there with, you know, <gasps> limited oxygen? It's, we're going to need to rewrite this whole thing. The public will never believe it. Break for lunch. I'll be in my trailer rewriting again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Accession. My special thanks this week goes out to Alice White, Buddy Duquesne, V. Silverman, and Charles Gustine, who I'm pretty sure just nailed the role of his life as Stanley Kubrick at the end of this episode. They've been an incredible group of podcast people to have behind my back as I've been starting this show, and they've all been endlessly supportive since the first moments that I met each of them. For those of you who don't know, Alice and Buddy have a podcast called Those Happy Places, where they treat theme park rides like literature. Charles Gustine has an excellent podcast called Iconography, which just started its second season on the geography of icons in New England. And V. Silverman, as you probably know if you've heard the show before, has an amazing podcast called Fuzzy Logic that I just cannot get enough of. V. Silverman also makes the art for our show. You can hire them to make art for you at vcsilverman.com. The theme music you're hearing now is performed by Mike Harmon, with recording, editing, and producing from Casey Dawson. You can hire them to make music for you at caseydawson.com. And the music in this episode comes from the Blue Dot Sessions. You can get licenses and music for your projects at sessions.blue. The script is turned into a transcript by Amanda Borgland, and social media and marketing support is provided by Lauren Laporto. Now, as for the special announcement at the end of this episode. I am launching a Patreon. Get it? Launching? Moon Museum? I'll let that one sink in a minute. For those of you who don't know, Patreon is a model of patronage, sort of like in the Renaissance, where individuals can help support artists by pledging a monthly payment to them. But of course, patronage comes with its perks. When you become a patron of Accession, you'll have the opportunity for exclusive behind-the-scenes content, like pages from my note and sketchbooks, previews of the episodes before they come out, additional bits of audio every month, and even a chance at a postcard from one of my many museum adventures, right in your mailbox. And people who are patrons will get developing perks as more of them come out, like digital rewards or physical rewards or things like that as the show keeps going on. Even just a dollar a month, 
about 25 cents a show, would help tremendously. You can check it all out over at patreon.com slash accessionfm. This show is written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, TH Ponders. You can follow me most places at TH Ponders, and you can follow the show most places at Accession FM. And as always, you can find the notes to the show, links to the art, and maybe a few other goodies on our website at accession.fm. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.